0: We especially thank you for our new members. We pray that you would protect them, watch over them. Pray that they would continue to grow in the faith and knowledge of you. Lord, I pray that as we are reminded, those of us who are already members, what membership is, I pray that we would be renewed in our commitment before you and before each other. Lord, we thank you for your word that outlines all of these truths for us, that lays them down uh, so clearly for us. We thank you that your spirit, when things are... need a a little bit more study, need a little bit more digging, that your spirit works within us to reveal the different truths to us, open our eyes to see these different things that we didn't see before. We thank you that you are the one that Jesus left behind to teach us, to guide us in all truth. We thank you for your word, that you do not leave us without instruction, without teaching, without how we need to be living our lives in the light of our salvation in you. And we thank you that you don't leave us alone, that it's your power that works in us to enable us to even begin to, thinking, to think about obeying it. Lord, we thank you that you are living and active, that you, your spirit is in these words and they become a real part of us, they become who we are, and that your spirit empowers us to live them out. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. It's hard to think back on this summer, right, especially as we look out here and it's cold and it's dreary and it's rainy and it's with all this cold weather happening right now. But for those of you connected to agriculture in some form, you know that this summer's weather was especially disastrous to some kinds of crops. The inundation of rain at different parts of the summer was catastrophic to different crops that relied on a different schedule and amount of rain. I learned a lesson with our little backyard garden this summer as well. I'd walk past the Johnson's Garden over here on 4th Street and wonder why in the world it got so lush and, and, and profitable and ours is all scraggly and falling apart back here and, and I, I learned something especially during times of an extreme heat this summer, I made sure to water all the plants in our garden because I thought, surely you can't have too much water, especially in this heat, right? Surely that's not going to be a problem. I learned that apparently you can give them too much water. Apparently you can overwater certain plants like tomatoes and cucumbers, and they can develop a condition known as root rot. Some of you probably... Know that already uh, before I discovered it. With my watering too much combined with the extreme rainfall, I ended up with a pretty disappointing crop of cucumbers. But I learned something. I know for next year now. And as we work our way through our passage this morning, we will see that Paul compares himself and Apollos as those who planted the seeds of truth in the Corinthians' hearts and who watered those seeds with the nutrition of God's word. But ultimately, Paul admits that it was only God who did any of the growth in their hearts, and it really had nothing to do with either one of them as human ministers. Aren't you glad that even though he gives different church leaders to do his work, that he's the one ultimately in control of, say, how much rain we get and what else needs to be done for our growth and that he's the one who does the actual growing in us? We've been spending a good deal of time over the past month or so working through and processing through the deep theological truths revealed in the last part of chapter 1 and the entirety of chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians. We talked about the eternal wisdom of God, some of which was revealed in the completely opposite way the world would understand it. In that way, God's design of finding him, so to speak, was purposely made to be impossible through any human wisdom or convention. Not only that, but it flew in the face of everything the world held dear. This plan was created by the first person of the Trinity, God the Father, who chose to reveal restoration to him at the perfect time in human history of which he guided up to that point and and continues to guide this plan of restoration was established through the God man the second person of the Trinity God who put on human flesh he taught about the kingdom of God and the will of God obeying the law perfectly for our sakes and paying the penalty for our sin on our behalf by dying the death we deserved on a cross Three days later, he rose again from the dead, proving everything he said about himself was true and set into motion the revelation of the plan of restoration to God through him for anyone and everyone. This plan, however, could only be understood and have faith put, put in through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, the agent of this revelation communicating to us thought of as inactive and basically non-existent at the time. He did that through the breathing out of God's word and the writers of scripture and preserving those holy words for us to see and understand. In addition, he opens our spiritual eyes and stirs within our hearts to place our faith in the saving work of Jesus' death and resurrection. Not only that, but he immediately indwells us and goes to work on our hearts, sealing us For our eternal destination. We dug into all of that. Over the past month or so. Now Paul. Uses all of that. Heavy theological foundation. To go back to what he had previously. Been rebuking the Corinthians for. He brought up the issue. In the middle of chapter 1. Stepped back to lay the foundation. For why he was addressing this issue with them. And now comes back to the issue. Now that that foundation has been laid. And with all that in mind, let's jump in to chapter 3. So the first point that we come to this morning is the problem. Paul first addresses it in the middle of chapter 1. He takes a step back to lay the theological foundation for it. Now comes back to the problem. We're in 1 Corinthians. We're starting chapter 3. So if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you didn't, that's fine. There should be one located in the pew in front of you. I'd also like you to turn there. It's in the New Testament. If you're having trouble finding it, ask a neighbor or look it up in the table of contents. Nothing wrong with that. I want all of us to see this together. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, and we read, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. According to one biblical scholar, Paul is making a distinction with how he's addressing some of the Corinthian believers in contrast to what he's just finished talking about. If you remember from last week, Paul contrasted two different people. Does anyone remember who? Two different types of people. The natural man and the spiritual man, right? Those are the two types of people Paul contrasted at the end of chapter 2, which we covered last week. The natural man, or natural person, was the extent of human and worldly wisdom. Since he or she bases their understanding of the universe on the extent of human wisdom, he or she simply cannot understand God's wisdom as revealed in Jesus and as communicated to our hearts by the Holy Spirit. They base their morality on human desire, which changes according to the culture and society. Since they cannot understand the things of God, their ultimate response is a vilification and criticism of God, His Word, and His plan. That's the natural and logical extent of that. Therefore, the height and end result of the natural person is atheism and a conclusion that there is no meaning to anything in this life. There is no meaning to pain. There are no answers to life's most difficult questions. Their response is only logical because it is the only response left in in that worldview. Try not to think about it. Try not to think about the difficult and painful things in this life and just try to squeeze every last bit of enjoyment out of life. Ironically, the height of the greatness of human wisdom, intelligence, and morality is shallowness and superficiality. By contrast, however, those who have been given the Holy Spirit through their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus for their sins have the depths of the wisdom of Almighty God revealed to them through His Word and through His Spirit. They find the healing and redemption to their pain. They find growth and strength in God's transformation of them. They have the third person of the Trinity literally indwelling them and walking with them through every step of this life, empowering, strengthening, comforting, and guiding them. They have the portal to heaven opened in prayer to them and can come with boldness before the throne of the creator of the universe. They cannot be judged or have their worth determined by any human for their root worth has already been determined by their loving heavenly father. That is what the spiritual person has. Now, in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul turns back to the situation he already started addressing in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 1, we read, For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you, Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. This is the issue that Paul is addressing. He addressed it already here in the middle of chapter 1, and he took a step back to lay the theological foundation for what he's now saying in chapter 3. We can gather from this rebuke that there were some in the Corinthian church who were comparing the skills and weaknesses of the different church leaders they had been exposed to at that point, and were dividing themselves up into different camps according to which leader they liked the most. Some liked Paul, their founder, and the one who had been the spiritual father to many, best, and determined to remain loyal to him. Some were loyal to Apollos, the new guy who also led others to Christ. Paul was pointing out that this is so ludicrous that he wouldn't even be surprised if some of them were loyal to Peter or Cephas and had created a mini-camp devoted to him. He wouldn't be surprised if that even happened. Some had even apparently distanced themselves from these who were dividing themselves up into these loyalty camps and claimed, I don't follow the teaching of any spiritual leader. No one has any influence over me except Jesus himself. Paul was rebuking this group as well, for he says elsewhere that the Holy Spirit gives the gift of spiritual leaders to help shepherd the church under Christ's lordship. Paul then breaks away to lay down the theological foundation of God's sovereignty and the wisdom of his plan. That's what we've been spending so much time on lately, and this is why. If God took everything the world held dear, including social status and including skills and who's better than who and turned it on its head with the gospel why would comparing human skills and spiritual gifts along with creating division in the church according to human loyalty have anything to do with that? The rhetorical answer is nothing. God took everything we as humans place worth in and made it worthless in the light of the gospel. Why on earth would we then take those things and futilely try to put worth into them again? That will never work and that will never win because God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen and the things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before god about anything now paul takes that theological foundation and once again turns back to the situation he has to rebuke in corinth in chapter one in verse one he reminds them that they once acted like the natural people he's gone through describing already they just recently had their spiritual eyes opened. And because they had just turned from being thoroughly natural, Paul had to treat them like baby Christians and feed them baby Christian food. That is the basics of the faith. He further explains on in, in, chapter, in verse 2, in the beginning part of verse 3, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly before Paul could not give them the solid food of the deep theological foundation he just laid in the preceding chapters and they really still could not handle it now because a lot of them were still thinking and acting in a fleshly way in that way they were still acting like immature Christians not really understanding the depths of God's wisdom because they were allowing their flesh to completely get in the way And how does Paul say that they're acting like immature Christians and letting their flesh get in the way? Second part of verse 3 into chapter 4. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I of Apollos, are you not mere men? One biblical scholar noted that Paul was not saying that the divisive believers were natural people, as he described them in chapter 2, but they were behaving as a natural person would behave, and he has to talk to them as if they are natural people. They were acting fleshly, not having a fleshly nature. Why the big difference? Paul wanted to make it crystal clear that even the divisive believers that he wasn't... To even the divisive believers, that he wasn't calling their salvation into question. That is not what he was calling into question. They still had a spiritual nature that every believer in Jesus is given, which he described in the preceding chapters. What he is chastising, however, is the fact that they were acting the way an unbelieving person would act. In the battle between their fleshly behavior and their spirit led walk, their fleshly behavior was winning. Paul specifically addresses the situation he's rebuking in verse 4, saying that those who are being divisive in their human loyalties are acting like the mere natural people he described at the end of chapter 2, who don't even have their spiritual eyes opened yet, much less understand the wisdom of God. So we talked about the problem that he comes back to, that he started addressing in chapter 1. And secondly, he's going to talk about the planters the right way to look at this situation. Like a good teacher, Paul doesn't just tell the Corinthians to just knock it off. Get it right. He doesn't just say that without any further explanation. Instead, he next teaches them by turning the discussion to what the proper perspective of their church leaders should be. In verse 5, he says, What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? Here's the answer servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. Just as he's laid down the foundation of in the preceding chapters, Paul downplays how much of a role each church leader has in the light of God's plan. He downplays that. What is Paul just wrapped up talking about? That none of us, even church leaders have any reason to boast before God. Any reason. It was our sin that separated us from God, but everything else is God. God is the one who in His infinite and eternal wisdom created us with the capacity to obey Him out of love and the capacity to sin, knowing full well what was going to happen and that we would need a Redeemer. It was God who pointed everything in the Jewish faith and Old Testament to Jesus. It was the Father God who sent the Son of God to earth to pay the penalty for our sin on our behalf and then raise Him from the dead. It was Father God who accepted Jesus' righteousness on our behalf and declared us justified before Him. It was Father God and God the Son who sent God the Spirit to open our eyes to God's spiritual truths. Lead us to faith in Him through Jesus, put saving faith within us and indwell us to seal us for eternity and transform us into the people God wants us to be. Then someday it's God who will return for us and take us up to be with him for all eternity. It all starts with God and it all ends with God. Just as everything about our faith has everything to do with God and not with us, not even anything a church leader does has anything to do with them and everything to do with God. Anything an elder makes a decision on is to be based on the Holy Spirit's leading, and anything a pastor preaches is to be what God leads him to preach. Likewise, anything a deacon or women's ministry leader does is to be based on the Spirit's leading. It all starts with him and it all ends with him. Because of that, there is absolutely nothing to be loyal to one church leader over another because it's all connected to God's work and God's leading. As Paul writes in this verse, it's even God who gives church leaders their opportunities to do, their, to do his work. Included in this is the amount of time God allows for a church leader to lead, where he or she is leading, and how he or she is leading. Included in this are the people that God allows for church leaders to minister to, and for how long he determines those people to be ministered to by those leaders. We can't fight it because it's God who is the one determining that opportunity. The kingdom of God is worldwide and much, much larger than any one local church. Paul downplays any sort of personal hand either him or Apollos had in the development and growth of the Corinthian church because as he's so clearly laid out already, the development and growth of the Corinthian church had nothing to do with either one of them. He notes what each of them did, but he also notes that anything that came out of it had nothing to do with them and everything to do with God. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, that's his observation, but it was God causing the growth. He's the one who is doing anything. Paul's hope in writing all of this was diffusing the situation in Corinth as quickly as possible. Once it's seen that there's no reason to be loyal to any one church leader over another because God is the one ultimately doing anything in their lives, what follows is a waning and deflating of what was once so fierce. Really, the only way to deflate a raging situation is to point to God being the author of everything. Paul is saying there's no reason to be loyal to either Apollos or me because there's no reason to be. We follow the church leader's influence for the time that God gives them to us, but it's God who is ultimately the one doing anything that is worth being loyal to. He says exactly that in verse 7. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. He completely downplays that. But God who causes the growth. He says it again just in a different way. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who causes the growth. Paul's whole point of addressing all of this was not to cause further division, but to create unification. We see that clearly in verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are what? One. There is to be no division, because the church leaders that God has given for the amount of time God has given are one. They're both servants merely doing what God has called them to do. They serve the same master. Paul notes next, in the second part of verse 8, that this viewpoint does not contradict Jesus' parable of the servants and how each one handled the responsibility God gave them. In this case, it's how each church leader handled the ministries that God gave to them. Paul notes in the second part of verse 8, but each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Each church leader will be rewarded by God since he's the one they're ultimately responsible to according to how he handled the ministry given to him by God. Lastly, Paul wraps up this section topic with verse 9. He says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. In Paul's and Apollos' case, Paul wanted the Corinthian church to know that since they weren't in competition with each other, there shouldn't be any competition connected with them in the church. There certainly wasn't any division coming from them for they knew that they were fellow workers with the same goal and the same master. On the same side of the coin is this truth. There may be some human ministers who have disappointed or burned you in the past. Let that not have any power over you. We have the peace of knowing that God is the one doing any of the growth in our lives no matter what any human ministers do. They are responsible to God and will be held accountable for how they handled the ministry God gave to them for better or for worse. Yes, absolutely, God uses different people in our lives, but he's the one stretching He's the one growing us. He's the one deepening our faith, no matter how disappointing human ministers can be. He's the one teaching us, no matter how spiritually gifted a human minister may be. He's the one healing us, comforting us, convicting us, encouraging us, and walking alongside us. We can be thankful for the leaders God has given, but all the glory goes to Him because He's the one ultimately doing the saving changing and leading let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word we thank you that you are the one doing all the spiritual work in our lives we thank you that you give to us different human ministers to lead us and to guide us for the time that you have given them to do it well lord we thank you that it doesn't matter ultimately what they do it has nothing to do with them it has everything to do with you. Lord, we thank you that you never change and that you, are, that you remain the same from our point of salvation until now. Lord, I thank you that you are the one who is growing us and changing us and sealing us and molding us and one day will welcome us into eternity. We thank you that it all starts and ends with you. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.